My name is Dan Miller. I'm one of the elders here, and I'll be guiding us through Psalm 82 this morning, so you can turn there with me. There's a battle happening right now that you can't see, but you can feel. It's not the one in Israel, though you're getting warmer. You feel it whenever people are oppressed and whenever the justice system fails and whenever corrupt leaders seem like they'll be in power forever. It's everywhere. This battle is not political. It's not geographical. It's not even physical. This battle is a spiritual battle. It's older than you and me. And it's all over the pages of our Bible in plain sight. But since we can't see it, many of us have spent most of our lives ignoring it. Not today. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 82, and we're going to see perhaps the clearest picture of exactly what's happening behind all of this trouble on earth. So here's my goal for you. My goal as a result of this sermon is when you observe or when you experience things like injustice and oppression from playground bully to world power, I want you to know that there's way more happening than you can see. And from that, I want you to trust completely in God's perfect justice as you endure injustice. And I've got a year of personal experience in North Africa that says, I've felt this battle firsthand, and I've learned how to fight better, and I want the same for you. So into Psalm 82 we go. I'm going to read all eight verses to help you take it all in, and then I'm going to spend an obnoxious amount of time in verse 1, because it's really important. Let's look at Psalm 82. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them. From the hand of the wicked, they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, 
You shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. The first thing we see here is that there are gods. Right there in verse 1. And they're having a meeting. Huh. That's weird. Go on and look at that verse again. No, I'll read it. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. And again, you say, huh. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't mean gods, right? I mean, haven't we been taught all along that there's only one God? You know, I mean, all those other gods in the Bible, they're just fake little statues with no real power. Right? Okay. Well, if they're not gods, who's in this meeting? So we try to make sense of it. Okay, if there's, if there's one God, then that means that these gods, well, maybe they're the rest of the Trinity. Maybe. Well, that's not right. I mean, from verse 2 on, this meeting is a bad performance review. There's accusations of bad judgment and partiality to the wicked. Verse 5 calls these gods lacking understanding and walking in darkness. And the Trinity doesn't do infighting. Okay, that can't be it. Who's left? Well, maybe you've heard these gods in Psalm 82 are just really powerful, evil people. You know, the people behind all the injustice that I just talked about. But I don't think so. Look at verses 6 and 7. God says this to the council meeting. You are God's Sons of the Most High, all of you, nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. So they're called gods, even sons of God, by God, and they are compared to people. They can't be people. Some of you at this point would like to close Psalm 82 and go back to Psalm 23. Nice, safe Psalm 23. Maybe others of you really aren't quite convinced. You know, this is just one non-famous psalm. I never read this one. And it's a psalm, you know, it's poetry. It's in the Old Testament. You know, maybe there were gods and spirits then, but not now, right? Well, let me show you a verse that is not poetry. It's way more famous, and it was actually written after Jesus was resurrected. It's Ephesians 6.12. 
Unlike Psalm 82, you've probably heard of it. The Apostle Paul writes this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, not of earth, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You guys trust Paul, right? Do you still trust him? This is after the resurrection. And you add that onto all this supernatural stuff all over the Old Testament and the New, if you're honest. And what are we left with? We're left with gods. So, Dan, are you saying that there's God and there's more gods? Like real, actual gods? No. I'm saying that the Bible is saying that there's gods (laughs) and there's God above them. Real, actual gods. What is this, polytheism? Like, is the God of the Bible now suddenly one voice of many? If you go outside this church... Are you going to find a a coexist bumper sticker on my family's van? No. Because in verse 1, in this divine council, God has taken his place. He is holding judgment. God is above these gods. Ephesians just helped us get to know them a little better. Cosmic powers, spiritual forces, heavenly beings. What do these gods all have in common? The G is lowercase. And that's all Psalm 82 verse 1 means. There are gods and God is above them all. It's okay if you're not comfortable with this because I'm not either. In fact, let me tell you about discomfort. When my family spent a year in North Africa, we had spiritual experiences uncommon to America. I saw stuff that I hadn't seen before. Some of my Christian friends there had visions and those visions would point them to specific looking strangers and we'd go out and we'd see those people and we would share the gospel with them. One Muslim man said that he heard voices shouting at him in his head all day, every day. But one day he's at a market And somehow, he found a small statue of a cross in a Muslim country. And he picked it up, and the voices stopped. I experienced firsthand the very thing 
that I had grown accustomed to laughing at. See, in my youth, I had met people in more charismatic churches, that's more accepting of the supernatural, and some of them were into some strange stuff, and some of it was wrong, but I threw it all out. So whenever I'd get to a weird Bible verse, I'd blow right past it. But I don't do that anymore, and I don't want you to either. How does this apply? You need to believe that there are gods. Real gods. Because here in the West, we generally don't try to do that. We like to rationalize everything. Every problem. Every sickness. But our dependency on rationality is unsurprising. We're rich, comparatively. And many of us learned our Christianity from Europe. Do you know what else came from Europe? The Enlightenment. Because of that, the supernatural is often, at best, ignored, and at worst, mocked. And if I were a god... Like one of these gods in Psalm 82, America would be my playground. Thank God the Enlightenment missed North Africa. So, what about you? Maybe you knew people, or you do know people, who are into some spiritual stuff, or maybe some of it's bad, but maybe you back off everything like me. There are Christians who haven't. Many of them aren't from America, and some of them go to this church, or they've been to different countries. Talk to them. What happens if you don't believe that there are gods? The gods don't go away. In fact, that's bad news because of where Psalm 82 goes next. Because it shows that most of them are out to get you. Let me read verses 2 through 5. And this is God delivering judgment in this divine council. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. 
So the first thing we learn is that there are gods. Now we learn that most of them are unjust. And I say most of them because there are more heavenly beings than in this council. There are angels and cherubim and others in your Bible who serve God, but not here, not in this council. Look at verse 2. These are unjust gods. They show partiality to the wicked, and what's worse, they have real authority. And look at what they should be doing in verse 3. Imagine this world, helping weak people, fatherless people, afflicted people, destitute people, people who have suffered under abusive parents or corrupt church leaders, police officers who take bribes, crooked judges, playground bullies, corrupt political parties. Injustice is everywhere on earth, and it's a problem, but there's a bigger problem. The problem, according to this text, is when our concern stops at people. What presides over these unjust people and these unjust systems? According to the text, these unjust gods. These spiritual forces. And in verse 4, God is calling them out, rescue these oppressed people. But these gods, with stacks of appeals flooding their desks, turn away. Just like any crooked politician. And it all trickles down to earth. I mean, just consider the audience of Psalm 82. That's Israel during the time of King Solomon. And the gods of other nations, while Israel was rich, well, the gods of other nations tempted them. And many of God's people began to treat the spiritual life like a buffet. Just get a little bit of this God and a little bit of that God. And Solomon himself began to worship a god named Molech. Have you heard of him? Probably not. Well, if you sacrificed your children to Molech, you would be rich. And God's people followed, and they oppressed their own children. Israel imploded, and Molech laughed. But we don't have a God problem anymore, do we? I think Molech is still laughing. I'm not being dramatic. Do you understand what I'm saying? That means if you work for, say, the pregnancy resource clinic, you're not just talking to clients and working the phones. You're fighting Molech. Do you actually believe that? <laughs> no wonder you're tired. It's a war that you can't see. 
And Satan brought friends. Moloch's one of them. The Bible is not a history book about nations fighting nations. Flesh and blood. It's a story of a spiritual battle for people to be allied to the one true God above all other gods. These gods are not stupid little statues. Satan's got friends and they're powerful and they're crazy. Verse 5 says so. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. In other words, though these gods see God, they stand against him in darkness. They're away from the light. They pull strings and the earth shakes with injustice. It's still shaking. So how does this apply? Know your real enemy. If you rage only against unjust people and systems out there, you miss the real battle. I mean, don't misunderstand. According to verses 2 and 4, it's right to call out injustice. But above that wicked ruler is a spiritual force that is manipulating them. Unjust people are just branches. They're not the root. And that changes how Christians fight. Think of the early church. Now think of Paul, who wrote that letter to the Ephesians that I just quoted. Once upon a time, Paul oppressed Christians. But the Christians did a funny thing. They didn't pass around the offering plate to have him killed. They waived their rights. You oppress us? We don't need rights. We have Jesus. And they scattered and they persevered. And you know what happened to Paul? Jesus took care of him. Paul was set free. Supernaturally, I might add. And then, through persecution, he would go on to build the church he once tried to destroy. Helping them fight the spiritual battle. The right battle. Against the cosmic powers. The spiritual forces. The gods. Paul persevered because he knew who the real enemy was. Do you? Because if you don't believe in these gods, all you will see behind injustice is people. And they will become your enemy. Enemies to kill. Intellectual opponents to defeat and not captives to free. And so you'll rage against that political party. 
You'll be preoccupied with economic inflation. And the gods will laugh. Remember the real enemy. How do you do that? Well, if you're stuck in a political crossfire at work, cut through with the gospel. Or if you're anxious about prices at the store, you have to step back and remember something. You're not in a store. You're in a spiritual prison full of captives and you got keys. Do you even think about that? Fight the real battle. And you'll know you're fighting the real battle because you'll suffer for it. And as you suffer for it, don't be preoccupied with that. Because the God above all gods promises that one day all that injustice will be destroyed. Not at the flesh and blood level only, at the spiritual level. That is how Psalm 82 concludes. Start of verse 6. Again, this is God talking. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. And then the psalmist says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. That's the end for these gods. God will destroy them. Verse 6 says that they're not merely corrupt people. And that's what makes verse 7 so shocking. God is sentencing heavenly beings to death and downfall like corrupt people. Ironic that gods can be killed and people like us could live. The right response of the psalmist in verse 8 is to long for God to do this. Not to take the earth back for themselves. But to beg for God to do it, even in the spiritual realm. He knows that this is a victory only God provides. And that is where Jesus, God's son, comes in. You might have wondered if he was going to make an appearance today. As obscure as Psalm 82 seems, it's not because Jesus quoted it. It happened in John 10, around verse 22. I'll sum it up. Jesus has come to earth and he's done miracles. And he's fought against oppression. And some unjust religious leaders have a big problem with him. It's not the miracles 
They say so. The problem is that Jesus is calling himself son of God. And so they pick up stones to kill him. Because they think they're obeying Psalm 82. Jesus' response in John 10.34 is to agree with them. He says, Is it not written in your law, quoting Psalm 82, I said, you are God's? If he called them to God's, to whom the word of God came, and scripture can't be broken, do you say of him, it's me, whom the Father consecrated and sent to the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I'm the Son of God? If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works. Friends, in short, Jesus is saying this. You would be right to pick up those stones. To kill me for claiming to be a son of God. You would be right if I were like the unjust gods of Psalm 82. But my works are blameless. You said so. I'm nothing like them. And their reply was to kill him. Unjustly, Jesus would die, fall like any prince, and die like any man. No, worse than a prince. And he did it so that even unjust people like Paul and like you and me can trust in him and avoid that judgment. Now, Jesus lives forever. But unjust gods won't. So how does that apply to us? Well, just as we must know the real enemy, we must trust the real judge. There's two ways I think we can do that. The first is to know what Jesus' resurrection means for these gods right now. Because you might be wondering, is there still a divine council? Well, when Jesus died and rose again, here's what happened to that divine council meeting. Colossians 2.15 again written by our friend Paul, says this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So if you are in Jesus, those unjust gods do not have power over you. That's why, though these gods still exist, they don't have power over those in Jesus. Because those in Jesus are under new management. 
the Holy Spirit. And so though your body is here and it's suffering injustice in an unjust world, your spirit is free. So as you look to the end, as you are faithful to share the gospel and people oppress you for it, you can pray even for your unjust captives or your unjust captors because you know that they're actually captives. And you know what that sounds like? That's the early church. Does that sound like you? Because that is a warning that I have for American culture. Even American Christian culture, as I spent some time away from it. Nothing like leaving something and then coming back for it to stand out to you. Because in this country, I don't see a lot of love for the lost. And I see unwillingness to suffer injustice. Instead, I see a preoccupation with rights. And I see a preoccupation with self-care. And I hear the gods laughing. When my family was in North Africa, we suffered pain. We got slandered. We were oppressed. And the government kept tabs on us. Do you know what kept us going? It wasn't our rights. Because we didn't have them. It was seeing the faces of so many captives. Because we knew where they and their God were headed. Do you? How does that change how you shop for groceries? Because there's a second application there once we know not just what's happening now, but what will happen. We have to know what Jesus' resurrection means for the future fate of these gods and their captives. Second Peter 3 tells us the fate of all the unjust. It says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The laughter of the gods will stop. And the cross will do it. Replaced by the praise of God forever. Is that you?
Look at God's word. See for yourself. And prepare to fight. I've got a good start for you. Uh, Tom Holman talked about reading the whole Bible next year. Maybe you do that starting tomorrow. (laughs) And when you hit the crazy verses, don't blow past them. Dig in. Or at least mark them down for later. Got one last last application as we trust the judge. If you don't, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that judgment I just talked about is for you. And this world is not a spiritual buffet for you to enjoy. This world is a prison, and you're a captive. And only Jesus can rescue you. Friends, there are gods. And though many of them are unjust, God will destroy them. Let's pray. God, I think one of the clearest evidences that I forget about this battle is that I don't pray very much. I pray before meals, I pray before bed sometimes, and I pray when I finish a sermon. But Lord, do I pray for your guidance? Do I just scatter the seeds broadly among the captives, or do I waste time strategizing and second-guessing myself. Lord, the fields are white for harvest, and the gods are crazy. Lord, would you help us to fight the good fight together against the powers of darkness, knowing that the day of justice is coming. Amen.